probably not news to you that living a, uh, a life of selflessness, uh, looking out for other people, is actually uh, one key to living a life of joy. Uh, but just from the outside looking in, if you just look at the bare facts, it's not necessarily evident at first because you'd think if, if, if I'm trying to live a life of joy, then I'm trying to get everything that will please me, right? I, I'm, I'm going to look out for myself. I'm going to get all that I can. I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. But as we uh, see here in the first part of, uh, of chapter 2 of Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that that's not necessarily how it works because true joy comes from an unselfish, humble spirit. So we'll, uh, we'll start reading here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This, this passage, uh, Philippians 2, uh, starts off assuming a few things. It uses the word if in, in verse 1 several times, but, but actually that word could, could be translated since. Uh, Paul's assuming that the Philippian Christians had indeed been experiencing these things as they were living life together with God. Because of their relationship with God and with, with the church, they had, experience, they had indeed experienced uh, encouragement and comfort and fellowship, and they had developed tenderness and compassion. And because they were experiencing those benefits from uh, being followers of Christ... Uh, then Paul says, well, that's going to result in a few things. If, if this is really true in your life, it's going to show up in certain ways. And, and one of those things is that there is going to be uh, harmony in your relationships. Uh, he doesn't use the word harmony, but, it, but he talks about three different ways that, that, that they should be uh, one. First of all, he says that they should be one in mind or, or be like-minded. Uh, unity, I guess we would we, we would talk about unity in what we believe, what we, uh, what we think. That, that's why the church throughout history has been interested in, in writing things down and, and coming up with, with creeds and doctrines and theology and making sure that, 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 that what we think and what we believe is, is on track with, with Scripture. Uh, Christianity is about the knowledge of God and we use our minds and, and we need to understand who he is. And, and as we do, we agree with each other. And many times, uh, uh, there, there, there are times that we might quarrel over small things when in reality God desires his people to be of one mind, he says. If, if we've experienced all this, then we should be of one mind. There's, there's a harmony that includes being of one. He also talks about being of one heart, or he, he uses the term having the same love. 
it says that since we have experienced comfort from God's love, then we should be unified in that love for God and for each other. It's not necessarily that we, we love the same things, but we, we have the same love. We live in harmony with each other because we have a common bond of God's love for us. Uh, and so, so we love him. We have this common love. We are one in heart. And then he also talks about being one in spirit. There's, there's a spiritual component here of one accord. Uh, literally, the term he uses there is that we are joint souls with each other. Our souls are joined as part of the family of God. If there's no harmony in the family of God, then we're not living as the people of God. The, the, the true people of God are of one mind, one heart, and one spirit. And, and I think over the, over the years, maybe we could even say uh, over a couple of centuries, that the church, Big C Church, not just this church or our denomination, but, but, but the church has, has maybe missed the mark on this. I, we have, I, I don't know that we can even count. Well, probably we could count. There, but there are boatloads of, of different Christian churches and denominations all around the world. At some point uh, through history, someone saw the need to draw a line, to make a distinction, and we start a new church. And, and I know that, uh, that, that, that many of those things have very valid reasons, and we need to acknowledge that. But, but I think we do ourselves and the, the, the body of Christ and our community a disservice when we emphasize all of the differences between churches instead of what we have in common. I, I mean, there are reasons, and I'll be the first to, to acknowledge, there are reasons that I'm a part of the Church of the Nazarene and I'm not Presbyterian or whatever. Pick your, pick your church. But, but I have a lot more in common with the Presbyterians than I do differences. And I think we can still live together, we can serve together, we can partner in ministry, I remember early on in in ministry here, I, we we meet together, pastors from across the uh, uh, across the, the the city. We meet together on occasion, and we have joint services and and all those things. and And I remember at first thinking about that uh, as I'm sitting down with the competition, right? We're uh, I'm, I'm sitting down, and uh, let's see, they've got they've got more people than than we do, or or I don't want to make I, I want to make sure that uh, you know that, that, that we're kind of vying for the same people. Very quickly, I was convicted of that and recognized we're we're not the comp- we're, all, we're we're all sitting down as the same team, and we're working for 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 God's best in our in our different avenues. I, I'm not talking about getting rid of standards and convictions. Uh, certain things can't, can't be compromised. I just think that, that we make a, a much longer list of the things uh, that, that, that divide us than we should. Uh, one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene, Phineas F. Brzee, was known to repeat time and time and time again, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. We won't always agree, but we can still live in harmony, as Paul is describing here in Philippians 2. Dr. Henry Ironside, a theologian, author, a former pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago, once, once wrote this. He said, it is very evident that Christians will never see eye to eye on all points. We are so largely influenced by habits, by environments, by education, by the measure of intellectual and spiritual apprehension to which we have attained that it is an impossibility to find any number of people who look at everything from the same standpoint. How then can we be of one mind? The apostle himself explains it elsewhere when he says, I think also that I have the mind of Christ. 
The mind of Christ is the lowly mind, and if we are all of his mind, we shall walk together in love, considering one another, seeking rather to be helpers of one, other, one another's faith than challenging each other's convictions. In this world of spouting opinions and challenging others' convictions, Paul tells us to live in harmony with each other. If we've, if we've uh, uh, received the, uh, the encouragement of being part of the body of Christ, uh, then, then that's going to show up by living in harmony. And as we do that, it develops joy. And that joy is, is rooted in uh, a, a second thing that Paul emphasizes here, and that is humility. T.S. Eliot once wrote, humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. Author and researcher Peggy Rosenthal says that in our vocabulary, few words are used more often than self and its combinations. Self-fulfillment, self-expression, self-actualization. We are a culture preoccupied with ourselves. (laughs) But if we look at the at the Bible, if we flip through scripture, uh, selfishness and pride is, uh, is literally the root of, of sin, plain and simple. Paul tells us uh, here that, that we need to do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. That, that same idea is, is promoted elsewhere. Just a couple of passages, excuse me, James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Galatians 5, uh, 19 to 21 gives a whole list of, uh, of sinful uh, activities. It says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, uh, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right in the middle of that list of all these, oh my goodness, kind of sins, right? It puts selfish ambition right in there with all the rest. And if we are living with, with selfish ambition, then we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet pride can creep in so easily. And we think we're on the right track and, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm humble. Um, and yet we, we, again, Dr. Henry Ironside, who, uh, who I just quoted a minute ago, uh, I found a story about him this week. He was convicted about his lack of humility, and he confided in a, in a, in a colleague and a friend about it, and, and, and that friend recommended, well, maybe try this. This might, might rid you of your pride. He said, he said uh, get, a, get a sandwich board uh, and, and put it on and march through the streets of Chicago, uh, and, and, and on that sandwich board, you need to write a bunch of scripture verses. And, uh, and, and so as you're walking through the streets of Chicago with this sandwich board uh, and all the scripture verses, you need to be yelling out at the top of your lungs, uh, reciting the scripture verses that are written on this, this thing. And that might just rid you of your pride uh, as, you, as you do this. So you know what? Uh, Henry Ironside said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And that's exactly what he did. And, uh, and when he got back after walking through the streets of Chicago and, and in this uh, humbling type of situation, he, he removed the board and then it is said that, that he responded, uh, I'll bet there's not another man in town who would do that. Therefore, <laughs> pride was still, uh, still there. It's so easy to, to allow it to slip in, right? Sometimes we're, we're proud of our humility, right? It's been said that Pride and humility are the two master powers, the two kingdoms at war for the eternal possession of man. 
Pride and selfishness go completely against what God desires for how he wants, to, wants us to live. And the ultimate example of that unselfish, humble spirit is Jesus. While, while Jesus was here on earth, he spoke time and time again about being a servant, about the, the first being last and the, and the last and the least and the lowest being first in God's eyes. Um, he, he demonstrated that all, over and over again. Uh, uh, maybe the, the most uh, uh, well-known is, is that he washed the, the feet of his 12 disciples, his 12 friends, like a common slave. But as we've read this morning, the, the ultimate example of, of Jesus' unselfish spirit is shown in the very act of his coming to earth at all, right? Uh, he who was God stripped himself of all the rights and privileges of what it means to be God and made himself nothing, Scripture says. Worse than nothing, he was crucified on a criminal's cross. Why? Because he considered others, you and me, Better than himself, because he looked out not only to not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Thomas Aquinas wrote, "If you're looking for an example of humility, look at the cross." So we're, we're talking about uh, uh, pride and humility, and, and the, the the need to get rid of pride. And, and a lot of times we we think, well, that that's that whole side of things that is kind of wicked and evil, and and it's it's just uh, it's it's kind of obvious what what's uh, what's going on there. Uh, um, and so I can rid myself of that, but, but a lot of times there's also a kind of a spiritual arrogance that we have. Maybe, maybe in the church we look to our own holiness and we begin, begin to compare ourselves to other people. Maybe we look to our neighbors and, well, it's, at least I'm not like that person or I'm so glad that I don't have to live like that. And, and uh, we start to lift ourselves up spiritually and, and pride can come maybe it's not this wicked and evil uh, I'm the best whatever but but we, uh, we it comes into our spiritual lives there's there's nothing attractive about an arrogant person there's there's nothing that attracts people to Christ if all we're doing is admiring our own cleanness and holiness your attitude should be the same as Jesus who got down and dirty and hung out with sinners so he could bring us all to God. Andrew Murray says this, here is the path to the higher life. It is the lowest path. Ask not for exaltation. That is God's work. See that you humble yourselves and, and take no place before God or man, but that of a servant. That is your work. Let that be your one purpose in prayer. God is faithful just as water and fills the lowest place so the moment God finds the creature empty his glory and his power flow in to exalt and to bless Paul says if we've if we've got any encouragement he's writing writing this letter to this church that he planted and these dear dear friends of his he has joy in that relationship those relationships with them and and he's longing to be with them but since he can't be he's in prison he's writing this letter and he says you've received all of this just make sure you're living it out and the way you live it out you need to live in in harmony with each other and you also need to have humility and not just look to your own selves. And then he also says that, that when you do that, it's going to look like you're, you're going to live out this, uh, this, whole, this whole concept of helpfulness. You're going to be helpful. You're going to look and, and help each other. 
When I recognize that the world does not revolve around me and my needs, then I'm awakened to the other needs that are around me and the spirit within me craves to help. I, I don't know if you've, you've noticed, we've, uh, what is this, the fourth week now that we've, we've uh, been looking at passages in this little letter of, of Philippians, and it, and it seems like there's a common theme, we've talked about joy as, a, as the common theme, but, but uh, it also seems like every passage that we look at, at that joy has, has uh, part of its root in, uh, in the community of faith. The, the, the people in the body of Christ, as we live together, uh, we're involved in each other's lives and, and, and that brings joy. As, as someone needs help, as, as Paul's talking about here, we, we help each other. Even if it's a sacrifice or it's inconvenient or it's costly, the, the, the church must be a place where there is sacrificial compassion. If there isn't, then we cease to be the church. If we're followers of Christ, uh, we're not selfish, we're selfless. Sometimes uh, it, it's, it's a little painful, right? Sometimes it costs money. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's messy and inconvenient. Usually it's all of those things. But, but others' needs are more important than my own. Why? Because God has a plan not just to make me more holy, but to use me to make a difference in the world. To be not just holy, but also helpful or useful. Maybe this helps uh, a, a little bit. When uh, when Rebecca and I got married, thirty years ago, um, we uh, thirty uh, June will be thirty. I think. Um, I don't think. I know. I got it. I got it. I'm one of those guys. I I know it. Um, we registered. Now back then there was a store called Lazarus. I don't know that the Lazarus is Lazarus still around anywhere. No, they're gone. Oh man, see, thirty years ago, Whew. lifetime ago. Well, it was a little like Dillard's. Is Dillard's still around? We still got a Dillard's? Okay. Anyway, department store at the mall. We registered there. Uh, we didn't have one of those little things where you just go and, and zap the, the stuff. You know, technology had not advanced to that. Uh, but but you'd, you'd register, and then people, if they went there, they could buy the stuff. You know how it works. So we're walking through and we're buying the, or registering for the stuff and, and some of the things were like, man, we really need that. And others were, were kind of like, yeah, well, we'll put it on the list. And we got down to the end and, and we saw these, uh, lead crystal goblets, set of eight red, uh, lead crystal goblets. And, uh, and we were like, well, we don't need crystal goblets. You know what? Let's put it on the list. Who knows, right? We didn't have any idea that anybody coming to our wedding would, uh, would be able to afford or even care about uh, lead crystal. We didn't even care too much about it, but uh, put it on the list. And sure enough, we're opening uh, presents after the wedding. Someone bought us a set of eight lead crystal goblets. Amazing, right? We, um, we have those goblets. Have we, bro- we haven't broken any, have we? We did break one. I, I thought maybe we did. So we have seven. We have a set of seven lead crystal goblets. If, if you have a party of eight, you can't, you, somebody's drinking out of the, the, uh, uh, the cup. But uh, anyway, those goblets are beautiful. They are valuable. I don't remember the cost, but uh, it was more than what I was going to spend on a, on a cup to drink out of, right? Um. Maybe the, the message here, if you're planning on getting married, <clears throat> anybody in the room, uh, maybe the, the, the lesson is register for everything. You might get it, right? Maybe that's, uh, that's probably not the lesson we're talking. I think that sounds more like selfishness and selflessness. But those, we, we treat those uh, goblets with special care, 
right? We, uh, we take great precautions. Uh, we, we don't use them every day. We hardly use them at all. They have their own special cabinet. Uh, when we use them, holidays, special events, I don't know, maybe, maybe twice or three times a year they might see the light of day. And uh, once we use them, uh, we wash them by hand, and immediately after they're washed and dried, they go back in the cabinet so that there's not uh, uh, anything that happens to these things. They're, they're beautiful, they're costly, uh, but we don't use them a whole lot. We also have uh, other things to drink out of in the house, most of which are made of plastic. Um, I remember, growing, we don't necessarily have as many of these anymore, but, but uh, along the way, raising the kids and all of that, we had all kinds of plastic cups. And maybe it came from a giveaway at school, or, or maybe it was something that, that we got a drink in at the ball game, and the, the logo is half scratched off, and, and, uh, but it's just the right size, and it fits your hand. Or maybe it's just those little juice cups, whatever. And use it for all sorts of things, quick uh, glass of juice or water or, or something, and, and you... Kids coming in with their grimy hands, and then you throw it down in the sink, or it gets in the dishwasher, and you put it away, and all to be used the very next day, right? It's just, just these, these plastic cups. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to choose to describe uh, one of those that would describe the best life, a life of joy, as a metaphor for, for a life of joy, I, I think it's got to be the plastic cups, I mean, there's a time and a place in the, for, the, for the beauty of the crystal goblet, but a joyful life is a life that is used, right? A life that is poured out for others. Make me a, make me a cup, not a goblet, I guess. My mom has a phrase she likes to use. She's visiting with us, whatever. She, maybe we're prepping a meal or, 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 or maybe we're cleaning up afterwards and, and she always comes in ready to help and, and uh, what can I do to help? And then she says, uh, because I want to be useful as well as ornamental, she says. I want to be useful as well as ornamental. There's nothing wrong with being ornamental. Just make sure you're useful. That you're helpful, that you're, you're pitching in to make a difference in the lives of people as God directs. The Apostle Paul says, man, we're part of this church, the body of Christ, and we get comfort and, and uh, we're sharing in the spirit and there's, there's tenderness and there's compassion and, and all of these things. We've received all these things because we have all that. We're living life with each other. We need to be selfless. We need to live in harmony with each other and not, not cause uh, conflict and, and, and problems, but to, but to live in, in harmony with each other. That comes from a heart of humility that, that, that puts other people's interests ahead of ourselves. And as we're living that way, it, it's just going to be natural that we look for those opportunities to be helpful, to use our gifts and, and, and talents and abilities and opportunities to be helpful wherever we can.